0: Welcome back to Screen Time. I'm Khan.
1: I'm Richard Roper.
0: Let's play some retro games.
1: All oh, the games people play now.
0: Remember that song? All oh, the games people play now. We're
1: going to do some gamesmanship. We're going to go gaming. We're going to game the system. I was thinking about these games, Roe, because there have been so many different kinds of games that we've seen on the TV lately, and then you see advertisements for all these hipster, sophisticated, ultra-modern games. But that got me to thinking about the old-timey retro games. Oh,
0: you know, these kids today, they've got it so good. I think that's what you're about to say. But <laughs> before I get to that, yeah. let's tell you about AmericanEagle.com because they are our presenting sponsors. The digital landscape is changing rapidly, and it can beat in today's business environment. You need an experienced partner. Since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes offering web design, development, e-commerce, mobile apps, digital marketing. It all drives your over overall business success because they believe today's online world is your opportunity. Visit AmericanEagle.com today to get started. And
1: before we throw out the first pitch on this podcast row, we should also mention that you can still get your picks in for our big Beat the Experts contest. You go to AmericanEagle.com slash ballot. AmericanEagle.com slash ballot. We have the ballots really easy. They did a nice job there. You fill out your picks. You don't have to fill out your picks. You just check the box in all 23 categories and one lucky winner is going to get a prize package with all kinds of cool movie and streaming series swag and this is stuff you can't get in stores like coffee table books celebrating great movies t-shirts mugs there's even a cool suitcase it's pink it's a cool pink suitcase tied to a particular movie you can find out about hmm. that but the deadline is approaching so you want to get your picks in asap
0: okay i will do that uh, but well, you can't. Well, You're know, ineligible. Gonna, well, here's what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. We will actually display our ballot yes. on the podcast. yes, And then, of course, also on that website as we approach the Academy Awards. Probably the week thereof. We'll yep. close out the balloting, and then we will show you what we've come up with, and then let the games begin.
1: I'm telling you right now, the combination of sound mixing and sound editing is why we <laughs> only have 23 categories, and that's just going to make it a tighter, tighter contest.
0: All right. Well, I know I'm going to win this year. Sure. All right, let's talk about the retro games. This, I you wrote an interesting article for the Chicago Sun Times about this exactly.
1: Yeah, and I really did. Uh, I was thinking about this because I was seeing uh, some ads for Out of the Park Baseball 22, MLB The Show 21, and these are those amazing video games. Bro, when you see like on someone's Twitter feed like a, a little screen grab from some of these video games, you have to look extra close to make sure it's not an actual ball game you know the 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 visuals are incredible Uh, the players are great i mean when you watch and i say kids and there are also 50 year olds that also Mm -hmm. are great at these video games and i i've never totally gotten into video games the modern day ones not because i don't think they're cool but they just eat up a lot of time and i have more important things to do like playing poker
0: online (laughs) you know we all have
1: our thing But it got me to thinking about those cool games uh, from back in the day. And Mm -hmm. one of the ones that I... And I wrote this piece, and it's very interesting because I've gotten more email on that than I think anything I've written in the last couple of months because not only people that played the games back in the 70s and the 80s, but you can get a lot of these games. There's improved versions of them, and people love the retro games just like they love the old arcade games like uh, Pac-Man and Ms. Pac-Man and Space Invaders. You'll see those in bars, and you'll see people have them in their basements. But I was looking more at the games that we got as kids. Did you have an electric football game I did, I did.
0: I did. I did. My downstairs neighbor, I grew up in an apartment building, so my oh. downstairs neighbor uh, had gotten one, and I begged my parents forever to get me one. The problem with this game, and we should go and explain it. <laughs> yes, the, the absolutely. The whole idea of this football game was you had these little football men. Yes. And you put them on this metal board. And yes. The, the the damn thing was somehow... Magnetized and vibrating all at the same time, which yeah. now you pay extra for. <laughs> you'd set the players up, you'd give them a little uh, a felt kind of a football, little felt football, yep. Right, you'd you'd hand that to you know one of the players, Tuck
1: it under the arm, right, of the, of the fullback. Mm-hmm. They used to have fullbacks,
0: and they would, and then you'd you'd press the thing, and it would start to vibrate yep. and made this hellacious sound,
1: unbelievable noise.
0: They would just vibrate and move, but not necessarily in any direction. No,
1: exa- you've got it exactly right. I mean, it was electric football, so there was a little switch to turn it on. And it was. I remember I got it for Christmas one year. My brother and I got it as a combo gift. And it was the best gift I got as a kid, this side of a Stingray oh, bicycle, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, with the kind of glitter, uh, neon orange, burnt orange color. That was the ultimate gift. But the electric football game, because it was so cool. And you're right the you know the football was you know replica size you know size to scale of a of NFL football field and you'd get like the Vikings against the Bears and you could put little numbers on them and they were on those little green bases that you mentioned <laughs> and the idea was you know they had these prongs underneath the base that you're supposed to be able to like maneuver to make the you know the wide receiver go deep or the running yeah. back but you're right so you'd painstakingly set up all 11 players on each side right Yes. And then do what you said. Hit the button, and they all vibrate. and, then... and it sound then... like an execution. It was unbelievable. There are YouTube sites dedicated to the glory of a disturbing mom by turning on the electric football game when she was taking a nap. <laughs> you know, maybe they had a little mother's little helper martini or something on <laughs> right. a, on a... Ball yeah. after it might have
0: also made her a little uncomfortable yeah,
1: well you know how'd you find that but that's another topic for another <laughs> podcast okay. kids yeah. don't try that yeah at home. okay but you're right so that so the setup would take like two or three minutes for each play the play mm-hmm. would take about eight seconds and the play ended when the base of one player touched the base of another guy with the ball that was a tackle so you'd go oh, i gained five yards yay and then they had the quarterback and the kicker something usually the same you know multi uh, talented athlete mm-hmm. so they had one of them had an action leg and an action arm so you put the little felt football in their <laughs> arm and then you could, and you could never complete a pass. It was no. impossible. No. I mean, Patrick Mahomes as a kid would have had like a thirty-two percent completion rate, or the And then the, you know the little field goal, nobody made a field goal. And then you if you'd kick a little felt football and it would get lost in the shag carpeting, and then you'd have to see if there was another one somewhere in the box.
0: And the most dangerous thing is if the dog ate the pieces. Oh, jeez, yeah. Because if the dog, because those pieces, you know, there were like magnets, and there was all this other stuff, and yeah. it was just they get it clumped together. Yeah. And it was, I, I just cannot imagine, you know. How many canine were lost in this Uh, game?
1: Oh, geez, yeah. What happened to Bingo? He went to the farm. Don't worry about (laughs) it. So that's one that people always talk about with such fond memories because it looks so cool. But I I don't know anybody who actually played a full game. You'd play about six or seven plays, and then you'd just break out the Hot Wheels because those were great on the orange track, you know, and you could have fun with those.
0: Or you take the orange track apart and then beat your friends with it or your brother or whatever it was. It was like that made the most hellacious... I said that word twice now yeah, in okay. one podcast, so <laughs> I've, I've broken a rule rolling around on the ground because yeah. you had just ended up playing the football game. You were frustrated by it. You want to do the Hot Wheels. You take the Hot Wheel track apart, and you just start swinging at each other's heads.
1: <laughs> we had one kid on my block. And it's so funny because we're talking about blocks. And I know people say, oh, people don't play with kids on the same block. Well, it depends on the neighborhood. But I lived on a dead-end street on Maryland Avenue, and everybody knew everybody. And I grew up in a, two blocks from a Catholic parish, so the average family had about 9.7 kids. You know, <laughs> So you had we, we got football games just by hollering from the street. But there was one kid in the neighborhood, every game we played, no matter what it was, he wanted to introduce the element of fire. Wouldn't it be cool, he'd say, <laughs> with that, so, like, so like with the Hot Wheels track, he'd say, wouldn't it be cool if it was like so hot that the track started burning up? And he always had either a lighter, mm-hmm. you know, he, he had a knife, you know, and we're talking like we were maybe 11 years yeah. old at did the most. Did he have most, a beard you know? at that
0: point or facial hair? He, yeah, starting... you
1: know, yeah, I think he might have been a little bit older. This family had moved in mysteriously uh-huh. and then moved out a few ah. years later mysteriously. Uh-huh. He even did that with G.I. Joe's, though. He'd be like, wouldn't it be something like if one of these guys caught on fire and he actually lit like one of the G.I. Joe's on fire and then we were not allowed you know, to play with
0: I had a friend who did that with Vaseline. Was all, yeah. like it, he, he slathered the thing with Vaseline and then he set the G.I. Joe on fire. Now, I want to just point out, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what happened to your friend, but I know what happened to mine. Yeah. And it had the words six to ten yeah, in yeah. it.
1: I, honestly, the truth—the truth, the truth is—that family did move because the older, older brother seemed to be bringing home different cars and doing things to <laughs> him in the dead of night. So that was that element. Oh, I want to talk yeah. about some warmer okay. memories yes, all right, of, all right. of some uh tabletop type games. Now, Roe, the game I loved and again, yeah, not everybody had, but somebody, you know, in the neighborhood. We had, you know, the rich kids, like the doctor's family lived a couple blocks away. They had a split level. We all lived oh. in bungalows. Hmm. They had the split level with the finished basement, and they had Uh, The tabletop hockey. And I'm talking about this is the one with the metal players. They were actually made out of metal. And remember you had the levers and you had Mm -hmm. a full six-man squad out there. So there was actually some skill involved in hand-eye coordination. And it was great because you'd get like the Montreal Canadiens you know, old school original six type teams. The Blackhawks, obviously, right. know, you'd have, I had the but...
0: Esposito brothers against each other. Yeah,
1: and that was a lot of fun though. Those you'd play because we'd have tournaments like with yeah. six kids, and you you take turns. And then and
0: I we, we had the opportunity because you and yeah. I worked for a radio station, in the Chicago Blackhawks where yep. our, we were the flagship for them. Mm-hmm. And I got to know Tony Esposito over the oh, yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. He's one of my favorite humans on earth, one of the most elegant men you'll ever meet, and. I said to him once, I'm like, I just can't believe I'm sitting here with you because I used to play Esposito versus Esposito tabletop hockey. And he leaned over, he grabbed my arm. I never got a dime for that. Oh, oh man.
1: <laughs> That's so, cl- oh, my God. That's amazing.
0: He should have gotten a couple of times. I, maybe for he that. did or he didn't. I don't know, but it was just a great way Never of saying got a time it. That's yeah. great.
1: And then, yeah, for for like my family, for example, a lot of others, you might not you already had electric football. I wasn't going to get all the tabletop games, but then there was sure shot hockey, and that was the little blue plastic, you know, miniature version of that with just two players on each uh, team on the rink. Right. They were like red and yellow, and then you just had little knobs and levers. So the scores of those games would be like forty to sixteen, yeah, because you scored almost every time with the little marble puck. The other one, though. That was difficult to score. Was do you remember basket? And it was actually bass, cat like that, like two T-U-T, words. Yeah. And that was the little tabletop game, where they had like the dimpled court and uh, the holes in the court, where a ping pong ball would land in a hole, and then you had the spring levers, and you'd have to launch that toward the basket.
0: I had it. I think I tried to launch a, a goldfish out of that once, oh, geez. or a tadpole, or one of those. It was surprisingly satisfying when you would actually yes. make a basket with it. It
1: really was because the, the spring levered launcher things were very tightly coiled, so you had to have a really like surgical touch. Because a lot of times they'd go over the backboard. Down the steps and land in you know your your dad's newspaper as he was trying to read you know Don Draper style or his martini, but they really were fun as little kids because that you know, a lot of these games it would say ages like four and up yeah you know they weren't that sophisticated so when we were maybe seven or eight years old you could you could kill a couple of hours on yeah. a snowy afternoon playing basket or sure shot hockey and kind of get lost in the games.
0: I actually liked that other football game where you had these cards, and one was on offense and one was on defense, yeah. and then you came up with it. Was it Monday Night Football? Is that what it Might was called? Might have been, yeah. And you you put the cards in, and then you slid a lever over it for your play, yeah. and then your opponent slid a lever over, and that actually then – put a matrix together yeah. on the field, you press a button, it light up the matrix and it would let you know what was going on. Yeah. You had to move your your players back and forth, like loss of five yards yeah. or completion for a touchdown or whatever it was.
1: That, that was sort of like a forerunner to fantasy football, really. Right. And Stratomatic baseball was the same kind of thing where you got all these player cards and it was that was tied to a roll of the dice, three dice. So for example, in the seventies, if you had a powerhouse team like the Cincinnati Reds you know, your Johnny Bench card, there would be a lot of the rolls of the dice would be a home run or a double. But if you had, you know, somebody who was a weaker hitter, you'd strike out. So you kind of, you could draft your own team. And there really was a lot of strategy in Stratomatic. And I know all of those Stratomatic baseball and football over the years have become increasingly sophisticated online versions. There's conventions. I mean, these are like people who can't get into the nerd club because they're too nerdy (laughs) play like Stratomatic baseball. Well,
0: there's a whole movement now of going back to the board games.
1: Yeah, oh god. I yeah.
0: I have a friend who is absolutely convinced that she is the greatest Monopoly player of all time and must then somehow comes over to my house cuz yeah. let's play Monopoly. And I'm like I I don't even I I used to cry endlessly when I played Monopoly against my parents (laughs) as soon as I was wiped out. And I got wiped out all the time. And I would sit there and I'd go, listen, you people do business. You understand money. I don't understand any of this. How am I supposed (laughs) to be able to keep up? How was I supposed to know that Vendor was a bad investment? (laughs)
1: A lot of things happening. Yeah, in that. there was Ro-Kan a lot going on there. So a child. Yeah. So she came over and she was
0: like, hey, she brought a Monopoly game yeah, yeah. and she's like, we're going to play this game. And I'm like, let tell something. I'm going to cry. And I tried to get drunk while I was doing it. So I didn't I it didn't get like emotional about it. Yeah. And that was the worst thing that caused me. As soon as
1: it was time to get a utility or something, you, you had flashbacks. Right.
0: And then everybody has their own rules for Monopoly. Well, right that's there. true. Yeah. 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 What, what does parking mean? What does go to jail mean? What is this? And then the rules kept changing. I literally took the board and I just slid it past her. <laughs> I go, pack that up and uh, I'll see you next week. <laughs> that's funny you
1: mentioned that too because all those board games – they came with a very long, usually it was the inside of the box. It would be the whole length of the box would have all the rules, and nobody read the rules except for that one geeky cousin who would say, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, I guess you're not aware of the fact that according to subsection two, what you, did, you can't pass go. You cannot collect your money. But that has happened a lot during the pandemic. A lot of people have taken up board games and jigsaw puzzles as well. But give me Stratomatic Baseball or Sure Shot Hockey over electric football any day
0: of oh. the week. Sure. All right. We're going to have the Thursday three and. What not to watch? A new feature of the Row & Rubber podcast. we were too
1: nice. That was the feedback, so we're going (laughs) to satisfy.
0: I like when you dump on stuff, too. Okay, you got it. All right, you ready? Well, we're not going to dump on this because, quite honestly, we'd like to welcome a new sponsor to Screen Time with the Row & Rubber, Portillo's. Portillo's is known for their famous Chicago hot dogs with all the freshest and tastiest ingredients, right down to the poppy seed bun, and, of course, their legendary chocolate cake. But that's just the beginning. The menu is... Is bursting with mouth-watering variety of favorites from charbroiled burgers, Italian beef sandwiches. By the way, I just just as an aside, mm. it is by far the best Italian beef you're going to find Great. in Chicago or anywhere else in the nation. Where Portillo's now is, it's a Chicagoland favorite since 1963. Portillo's also has locations throughout the Midwest and in Florida, California, Arizona. Order for curbside pickup or delivery today, or ship portillos anywhere in the u.s of a by ordering at portillos.com is P-O-R-T-I-L-L-O-S.com. com portillos.com right, what do you want to do first shall we crap on something first or should we tell people what the best three things coming up this weekend
1: you know now that i think about it why don't we start off with what not to watch yeah, so we let's can do end that. on
0: a positive note okay and give
1: some good recommendations to folks
0: okay what should we not be watching?
1: There's a movie coming out called Voyagers from the same writer director that did the Divergent series. He did a movie called Limitless with Bradley mm-hmm. Cooper. You yeah. might remember that one where he took the magic pill and then right. things went super super fast. I
0: never understood any of those movies. No,
1: but 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 very stylish stuff, and mm-hmm. that's the case with Voyagers. Now now, Ro, I'm I'm telling you not to see this movie. Okay, okay? I'm giving this negative review, but I got to tell you. It does have an intriguing premise. Okay, we've seen this story a million times. It's set in a dystopian future where man has pretty much destroyed the planet. So now we have to find a planet way out there, right? To colonize. Like, it's going to take 80 years to get there. And what do they always do? They they put the crew in a hyper-sleep chamber, uh-huh. right? So that right. then when it, they wake up, mm-hmm. they're, they're there. St- they're still thirty years old. All their right. loved ones like back the, home are dead.
0: Like you're a five year old in the car, and you finally got there. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: You know they always. That's always the way they do it. And almost every sci-fi movies that because they can't. If you put them on board when they're thirty, they'd be 150. They'd be dead. So hyper-sleep. This movie says no, no, no. That's not the way we're gonna do it. We're going to uh, breed a whole new society of 30 young people. We're going to have them. They're going to come through artificial insemination so their parents will all be geniuses. We're going to raise them in a controlled environment on Earth where they can never go outside so so they'll never miss anything. And then when they're 24, we're going to put these 30 people on the ship and for the next 86 years, they will grow up, then they will reproduce, and then their children will reproduce, and their grandchildren... Will then be ready to go and colonize the new planet. How
0: big is this ship?
1: Well, it's only there's thirty people. So thirty people. They figure they're going to get fifteen couples out of this, and then they're going to have kids, and then the kids are going to have kids. There's going to be some. There's going to be some royal family type stuff going here. But I mean, it's got to be the most batshit crazy idea (laughs) that they've ever had in a movie. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to put these thirty people on the ship. So. I thought at first it could be like a great B movie, but then it just devolves into like a Lord of the Flies type thing. So do not check out Voyagers. It is notable, though. Uh, Colin Farrell's in there. He's the only grown up Love on him. the ship. He's the mentor to the kids. And Lily Rose Depp, oh, daughter of Johnny Depp, yeah. who's really becoming a terrific actress. And she's she's. Beautiful, but you can see like her father's face. You know what I mean? There's yeah, I certain children of actors yes. who, even though she's got her own style and everything, you're like that. If you said, "Look at the cast of this movie, which one is Johnny Depp's daughter?" <laughs> you know, it's the easiest. <laughs> I know it's there. a little,
0: it's a little creepy because she looks a little too much like him, and she has a very, very beautiful mother, a yeah. French
1: actress, right? Vanessa Paradis. Yes, Vanessa yeah. Paradis. There are quite a few uh children of. Actors, famous actors who are coming into their own now. Uh, one of them is Margaret Qualley, who was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. She was one of the young girls on the Spawn Ranch with Charles mm-hmm. Manson, who brought Brad Pitt to the ranch. Uh, her mom's Andy McDowell. And you can see that in oh, her yeah. face, too. But oh, she, yeah. uh, Margaret Qualley, I think, of the whole group of actors coming up who have famous parents, might be the best of the bunch, Row. Ooh.
0: Lily Collins. I'm going to go with Lily Collins. Okay, maybe Lily. Okay. All right, and what else should we not watch? Oh, man, this one is such
1: a disappointment. It's called Thunder Force. It's coming out on Netflix, and it stars Melissa McCarthy and Octavia Spencer as two women who were best friends growing up and they live in a Chicago where there are these bad guys called the miscreants and they have superpowers and they're doing bad things in Chicago and these two develop their own superpowers to become Thunder Force and Mm. take them on. So it's kind of a parody of the superhero movies uh, but a lot of cheap physical gags and we just talked in the recent podcast about movies that are filmed in one place and set elsewhere and this one's uh, set in Chicago. It is so obviously Georgia throughout and they make references they keep talking about the bears and the cubs and they even talk about the super bowl shuffle but then a cop at one point says grand street and it's not grand street it's grand avenue but all of the geographical problems yeah. aside it's just a dumb lazy comedy and it's such a disappointment because what a great pairing octavia spencer and melissa mccarthy it's called thunder force it's thunderously bad
0: should just be called for the check <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's too bad because I love uh, Melissa McCarthy. I love both of them. And I do too, yeah. Why, and they're, and they're great they together. Do bad?
1: The vehicle is just uh, its a, a, a clunker.
0: Okay. All right, the Thursday three. So we're turning around. Now we're going to talk about three things you should see this weekend.
1: Yeah, The Nevers is very interesting. This is an HBO sci-fi horror thrillers it's set in they love to set stuff in like 1896 london yeah. there's always stuff going on that you Did know you notice 1890s. it's never
0: 1896 anywhere else no, except it's london. for london
1: i think because london had so much going on in real life there's so much sophistication but still that kind of the chance that jack the ripper could be lurking around every corner and this plays off of that the creator of this is uh joss whedon who did Buffy the Vampire Slayer and a lot of other shows and has been recently under a lot of fire for criticism for how he has behaved on sets. Yeah. And in fact, they HBO is not really promoting the fact that he created this, but it has the look of his types of shows, you know, very, very visually arresting. I'm, I am recommending this, just to make this clear. This is part of the Thursday three. The setup here is, again, there's a group of people who have been touched by a supernatural element. They call them the touched. It's mostly women. And they're considered outcasts but they're really mostly doing good it's basically the x-men we've got mutants and we got the humans who are afraid of them who want to see them killed but man they go with some really crazy stuff this is super violent and also they go with the full hbo game of thrones thing here because there's one guy in the series who's just this hedonist beyond belief and he has a social club which is basically making eyes wide shut Look like the Rotary (laughs) Club. So there's uh, (laughs) prolific nudity. And, And he even brings in the element of like, hey, let's bring in some of these supernatural people. They'll be really fun in bed.
0: Yeah. This is the new normal on whether it's over the top or HBO or, you know, something that you're paying for. It doesn't have to be commercially based a lot of very realistic sex. I mean, it's almost like Pornhub.
1: It would be NC-17 theatrically. And it's interesting because back in the 70s and 80s and into the 90s, there were all kinds of R-rated movies, theatrical films that Mm -hmm. had not just violence, but a lot of, a lot of you know eroticism and, and sexuality and nudity that's almost completely disappeared from the theatrical releases. They are almost always PG thirteen. Even the erotic thrillers they kind of tone yeah. it down because they want to appeal to the mass audience. But as you said on on the streaming services, I even I sometimes am like, what in the
0: oh my god, the Great and Bridgerton, you know, two period pieces mm-hmm. with ascendant actresses. Where they're doing these full-on sex scenes, and it's about a third of the action in the series.
1: Yeah, I mean we go back to Game of Thrones, which is, by the way, we're coming up on the tenth anniversary, which is a great series. But I, I was always stunned to find out that they had perfected breast implants at some point. (laughs) <laughs> on the Game of Thrones yeah, well. but you know that's another another yeah. topic for another yeah, podcast yeah okay right alright the nevers alright that's number three number two now this one is, is uh, you know very very serious and heavy stuff we've talked a lot about the true crime documentary series through the weeks on on our podcast row this one is currently playing on IMDb tv imdb is the movie database Mm -hmm. but also now producing and releasing their own stuff find that you you know you google it you might already have it you know it's bundled with a lot of things so it's not as as inaccessible as you might think this one's called moment of truth and it's a five-part documentary series about the murder of james jordan the father of michael jordan who was murdered in 1993 Uh, Of course, this was a case that attracted incredible attention. Ro, you remember at the time we were covering this because James Jordan was like Michael Jordan's best friend. He had gone missing for a long time before it was even reported, and then the authorities found his body in a swamp, and they quickly uh, ascertained that they had two suspects, uh, Daniel Green and Larry Demery. And the the trial went by pretty quickly too. I think it was just you know a couple of hours, and the jury convicted them. There were you know there was an infamous video of Daniel Green, one of the suspects, wearing a watch and a ring that Michael Jordan had had given to his father. But row what this documentary series gets into is the fact that the jury convicted uh, Daniel Green mainly on the testimony of Larry Demery, who struck a deal. With prosecutors, so he wouldn't get the death penalty. So Larry Green has always been identified as the trigger man, and Demery was kind of just the you know the unwitting accomplice. They wanted to rob somebody. Uh, the documentary makes a very strong case that it was the other way around, or that Daniel Green wasn't even there on the night, on the moment the murder occurred. He was definitely an accomplice after the fact, you mm-hmm. know, driving the stolen Lexus and, and the staff, wearing the man. jewelry and fencing all the stuff and everything. But there were a half dozen eyewitnesses who said there was an all-night party that they were both at. Demery left and came back hours later. Green never left the party. All kinds of holes in the case. It's a fascinating deep dive into the investigation and this county where the case occurred. There was all this racial divisiveness. It's about a third white, a third black, and a third Native American and very, very violent county a lot of corruption in the sheriff's office and then when they go through the case itself and all the appeals and there's kind of an aaron brockovich type uh, character who's you know who has come to defend uh daniel green a real life lawyer real life this, lawyer yeah. yeah and when you see it you're like okay i mean again there's no doubt that these are the two guys who should have been convicted of this crime that one of them pulled the trigger but it, you really walk away from it thinking daniel green who you know continues to plead his case has become a jailhouse lawyer and we know a lot of people who are right. guilty say it's a innocent. little like making a yeah. murderer it really is but it really sheds a lot of doubt on the case and at the very least you feel like this guy should get a second trial that they got to look into the evidence and the way the case was presented the prosecutor came dangerously close on several occasions to having a mistrial occurred for things he said that you can't say in a courtroom so it's called a moment of truth and it really only the first episode is really talks about Michael Jordan and James Jordan. It's really about this case, you know, and and the suspects. And as you might imagine, you know, Michael Jordan did not, you know, agree to the request for interviews, and they show old clips of him with Oprah Winfrey, where she asked him, don't you want to know why and what really happened? And he says he'd rather not because it's senseless no matter what, right. and it's not going to bring his dad back.
0: Right. And there were so many conspiracy theories yeah. surrounding yeah. that at the time, and it was, it was heartbreaking, I know, for the entire Jordan family and for Michael Jordan fans who didn't want to believe the conspiracy theories, and they really never held water.
1: They never did, and the circumstances with James Jordan, uh, you know why he pulled off to the side of the road, and what happened after that, all of that is examined in detail, and there are rational and logical answers for all of it, and has nothing to do with Michael Jordan's career. The fact that he then retired right after that, remember he said he wanted to play baseball because his dad always loved baseball best, mm-hmm. you know that is true, but it's not because anything Michael Jordan did it had anything to do with this
0: case. And finally, in the Thursday three, the one thing you should not miss this weekend.
1: This is another true crime docu-series, Roe, but this is one I have to tell you, I didn't know anything about this. Now the series is called This is a Robbery. It's a four-parter on Netflix, so you can binge watch this baby one right after another. (laughs) Really fascinating story. In 1990, on March 18th in Boston, so St. Patrick's Day weekend, in the dead of night, two police officers knocked on the door of a very prestigious museum, the Gardner Museum in Boston, told the security guards there, they're just two overnight security guards, that they had received a report of a disturbance, could you let us in? They let the two guys in, they're not really cops. They bound and gagged the security guards, You know, shackled them to a wall, and then made off with priceless works of art, including a Rembrandt, that's worth like a billion dollars they seemed to know exactly what they wanted they went from one you know gallery to the next taking oh there's a vermeer there a rembrandt there and made off with it and to this day uh-huh. Nobody knows where those paintings are, but this really gives you a deep dive and it goes well into the whole structure of organized crime in Massachusetts in the 90s. There's a lot of guys with nicknames and mug shots <laughs> tied to this and all kinds of crazy theories. It's right out of like the Thomas Crown Affair because some people say, oh, I know that there's a Saudi prince who has the Rembrandt. No, no, no. It's in a basement in the church in Boston. You're crazy. You know, they had to burn all the paintings, but the cast of characters yeah. are unbelievable in this. It's 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 the real life Goodfellas. At one point, there's the sister-in-law of one of the suspects, and she claims that when he and he's gone, a lot of these guys are gone through natural or unnatural causes. Mm-hmm. But this sister-in-law, who's right out of a Scorsese movie, she says, "Oh no, no, the, her former brother-in-law had the Vermeer painting, this famous painting, and she goes, it was in this foo-foo frame. I told him it's nothing a man should have in his apartment." <laughs> So it's called. This is a robbery, and it's just beautifully done. Great recreations. They got like a theatrical company, a troop to do the recreations of the stuff. So it's like a cut above of the usual shadowy stuff you see. I knew nothing about this heist, but I I'm gonna check this Rokan house and make sure that Rembrandt isn't here somewhere.
0: Oh hey, wait, this it's, is a robbery. It's on Netflix, yes. four part series. Watch it. That's something to watch. And don't forget, go onto your computer right now. You're probably on it anyway. Try to beat the experts. Not that I'm an expert, but Richard is an expert. And the Academy Awards are coming up in just a couple of weeks. This is an opportunity to have fun with the ballot. And you could win an amazing prize package as a result of it. All of that is at AmericanEagle.com slash ballot.
1: Yeah, I mean, the prize package is only worth slightly less than what they got. And this is a robbery when they took that Rembrandt. That's good stuff,
0: man. <laughs> that, by the way, is in my basement, that <laughs> that pink suitcase or whatever the hell that thing is. <laughs> All right. The Rowan Roper podcast is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. AmericanEagle.com is a full-service global digital agency providing best-in-class web design, development, hosting, digital marketing services, and so much more. Visit AmericanEagle.com for more information. Executive Producers for Screen Time with Rowan Roper, Renee Nelson and Tim Alenius. Our Music and Production Director is Brian Altimer. See you next time.